0: This is Ben Smith, I'm a photographer, and this is my podcast, A Small Voice, Conversations with Photographers. Thanks for listening. Hey people, Ben here, how are you doing? It's 2020, happy new decade. You know Blade Runner is set in 2019, don't you? So we're officially living in a post-Blade Runner world. No replicants yet, as far as I know. But then, I'm not so sure. Maybe we should test a few world leaders, just in case. Holy crap, what's wrong with these people? Maybe what's wrong is that they're not actually people. Have you stopped to consider that one? Maybe they're replicants. Welcome to the first small voice episode of 2020, for which my guest is the fabulous Amak Mahmudian, who I will introduce shortly after some important New Year housekeeping. Uh, there's quite a lot of it today, so please do stay tuned for the following important announcements. Uh, as usual, if you like this podcast, please drop off a very brief review and a rating on iTunes. If the rating isn't five stars, or four at least, then don't drop that off, obviously. Just email me instead and tell me why the podcast is only worth three stars or fewer, and I will attempt to defend it as best I can, and I will also take on board your criticisms. But since it looks like about 99% of you think it's worth a five-star review, I will continue to assume that I'm doing something right for the vast majority of you. Also... If you're in need of a new website but can't be asked to figure out how to make it, I can design and make it for you using the Squarespace platform. I'll even copy edit your mangled prose so it reads like proper well-polished English. Alternatively, I'm also going to start running web design for photographers workshops this year. So if you would like to learn how to build and maintain your own Squarespace website, you can come along to a half day session. And for a small percentage of the price of getting someone else to do a site for you, you can learn how to do it yourself. If you're interested in that, ping me an email at Ben at BenSmithPhoto.com. And provided I get five or six of you in a room together, we'll do it. If you're not in the UK or you can't get to London, I'd be happy to do the whole thing online as a one-to-one screencast. So there are various options there. Email me if you're interested in that and I'll figure out how much it will cost. Uh, A few changes that are going to be implemented around here for the new year. First of all, I regret to announce the immediate demise of the selfies. Some of you familiar with my social media posts may have become attached to, or in some weird way enamoured of, the incredibly badly executed selfies of me with my wonderful guest. Well, I'm sorry to disappoint you weirdos, but the selfies, they've got to go. Apart from anything else, I don't really want to look at my stupid face every two weeks. Also going, much to the relief of my future guests, is the audiogram with the also badly executed photographer's mugshot and the little audio clip. So that will be replaced with a selection of my guest pictures and maybe a graphic containing a quote from their chat. More importantly, as I mentioned briefly in the end of year special, I'm going to introduce an experiment this year. This podcast will no longer be fortnightly, but weekly, but only to subscribers or members if you prefer. So how will that work? I'm glad you asked. The fortnightly chat will still be available totally free to all and sundry, as it has been for the past four years. But in addition... There will be a podcast episode every alternate week, which will feature additional previously unreleased material from the previous week's conversation. And this material will mainly take the form of a number of supplemental questions that every guest will be asked at the end of their interview. That episode will be available to paying members only. In addition to that, there will also be a number of other extras, including outtakes and me rambling on about something or other, catch-ups with previous guests, field recordings from photo events and openings that I've attended and all of the occasional specials from festivals, portfolio reviews and events that have up to now been part of the main podcast. Those will also be subscriber only. So you're wondering, what will the cost be? Five quid a month or the equivalent in your local currency. Now, some of you lovely people, otherwise known as my loyal patrons, are already donating that amount out of the kindness of your hearts because you feel that this podcast already provides you with five quid a month's worth of value. So you people will obviously automatically get access to the new podcast feed as soon as it's available. And you may eventually have to switch to a different payment processor or some kind of annoying admin malarkey. But for now, you need do nothing until you hear from me. I will email you. Those of you who are currently donating three pounds a month obviously have the option to up that donation by two quid a month to get access to the subscriber content and I'll email all of you to to encourage you to do that if you prefer to keep things as they are that's obviously totally fine but it seems to me that it might make more sense to increase your donation by two quid and get something in return naturally you'll also still be able to make a larger occasional one-off donation via the button at bensmithphoto.com slash a small voice and anytime someone does that it is hugely appreciated but you won't get anything in return except my continued uh, gratitude OK, wait, let's do this. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Brilliant Charcoal Book Club, the first and only Book of the Month club dedicated exclusively to photo books. Each month, charcoal works with the most respected names in contemporary photography to select a first edition monograph that is a must have for every collection. Each book arrives signed by the artist, along with a note card and print from the guest curator, with free shipping to the US, Canada and the UK. Past curators have included Alex Soth, Mark Steinmetz, Andrew Modica, Todd Heido, Ron Jude and many others. All that, along with members-only pricing in their online bookstore and more, makes the Charcoal Book Club the best and most exciting way to stay up to date with essential work in contemporary photography. This month's book, for example is a fascinating-looking publication entitled Attention Service Member by Ben Brody, which was shortlisted for the Aperture Parry Photo First Book Award and which I'm looking forward to receiving in the next week or two. Have a look at that project on the Charcoal website. So this will all be happening in the next couple of weeks, and I will post a brief episode to walk you through it when the time comes, folks. That will probably be next Wednesday. we will also send an email notification to those of you who are signed up to the newsletter. If you're not signed up, could I encourage you to do that now at bensmithphoto.com slash a small voice where you will find the requisite form to fill in. This email is the best way to keep up to date with all things small voice related. And I encourage you to sign up for it, especially if you are currently one of the people making a donation. If you donate, but you're not signed up to the newsletter please uh, go ahead and do that. I know it's a bit annoying and redundant to get a notification about something you already know about, but I promise it will only ever be once a week at most. So watch this space, as it were, for more news about the subscriber-only feed in the very near future. So my guest this week, Amak Mahmoudian, was born in Shiraz in Iran in 1980, the year of the Iranian Revolution. She currently lives in Bristol, England, where she teaches on the BA and MA courses in photography at the University of the West of England. She graduated from the University of South Wales with a practice-based PhD in photography in 2015, and prior to that received a degree and an MA from the Art University of Tehran. AMAC's first book, Shanaznamay, was jointly published in 2016 by IC Visual Labs and RRB Books and sold out its 300-copy print run within two months. And The work has been widely exhibited internationally and the book has won multiple awards and has been featured in publications including Time, Phone Magazine and The Guardian. Amak's second book, Zanjir, which means chain in Persian, was recently released through the same joint publishers and hinges partly on an imagined conversation between herself and the Persian princess and memoirist Taj Saltanay, 1883 to 1936. Uh, If you're listening to this around the time of its release on the 8th of January, visit my Instagram feed at bensmithphoto where Amak is doing a takeover all week, posting some of her images. Follow me there if you don't already. Okay, I very much enjoyed listening to Amak's story. I'm sure you will too. Here she is, the lovely Amak Mahmoudian. I think we can do it.
1: Perfect, but I don't need to say any hi or anything to anyone. Can I just? Go
0: ahead? <laughs> no, we just go ahead. Okay. This is it. This is how. It, this <laughs> is how we roll. <laughs> Literally. We just started. We've started. Yeah, we've started and we talk. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I'm feeling so anxious about it. I, I think maybe it's because I'm sit- we're sitting in a classroom. Maybe. <laughs> it's got some kind of association yeah. for me.
1: And I had my t- first lecture here in this classroom. Did yeah. you really? Yes. So.
0: so we should tell the listeners okay. we're in we're at the UWE, the University of the West of England, which is in Bristol, which is where you teach on yes. the M A photography. B A. Or the B A photography. MA. And M A, yes. yeah. Because there's two two good photography courses here. And um, and you had a little talk last night, Yes a presentation um, where you talked a little bit about your new book, uh, which we are going to talk about, obviously. <laughs> but um, and 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 also, um, and we're going to talk about your previous book as well, because this was your second. This is your second one that you just that just came out. Yes. Tell us what it's called.
1: Uh, Zanjir. Zanjir. Zanjir means chain
0: chain okay yeah zanjir um, z-a-n-j-i-r in persian so i think in order to talk about all this stuff we need to get the context because really everything you do is kind of quite autobiographical in in its own way is that fair to say
1: yes okay Certainly. so
0: so like you were born in in, in iran uh in 1980 an auspicious. Nineteen eighty,
1: Ben. I wish it was nineteen ninety. <laughs> did, did I just say ninety? Jesus.
0: <laughs> nineteen eighty. Yes. An auspicious year because the, the revolution in Iran was in seventy nine, so it was a year after the Iranian revolution. Yeah.
1: And it was it happened in nineteen seventy nine, but as a revolution it was established. In nineteen eighty, year I was born.
0: Perfect, right? So there's a sort of neat kind Absolutely. of historical uh, significance to all that. So, but I thought, what well, what would be great? Could you give us a, a brief sort of potted history, in a way? Can you explain? Yeah, what what was Iranian society like p- prior, and what kind of changes did that revolution bring about? Can you just give us? For those of us who are historically illiterate about that um, particular region, can you give us a a sort of a um, brief overview?
1: Before Islamic revolution in Iran, it was Pahlavi Kingdom. Mm. And for people, that revolution was a revolution from people, for people, because they believed it is a time which religion and positive part and significant part of religion, which was Islam in Iran, could help people. To build up a better future. And obviously through the Pahlavi kingdom, people had a better life. It was easier for them in terms of their presentation and their exterior life. But in the, we- in the other hand, it started to um, create that kingdom. It started to create perhaps two different levels mm. of living social living for people and the people hoped it would be better after revolution for them to become equal and ah. have a better life and all these things happen in between 1978 to 1980 when this uh, regime and this revolution was publicly um, established in Iran and also I can say the revolution happened in country and it was a really um strange moment in people's life when it happened and through the my memories and my family's memories it wasn't a revolution in Iran in the society it, it was a revolution within each single family mm. and that was a big shock because even within the families they had different views, they had different perspective about that revolution and that conversations and that Discussions which happened after revolution, it caused so many of my family members to go abroad, to oh travel, really? because they were against or they couldn't believe in what had happened. And also that revolution, it didn't come out as it was promised to be. No, they of didn't course. expect that, people.
0: So ultimately there was a lot of disappointment in the sense that things didn't end up quite the way people hoped they would. Yeah.
1: Not at all. Okay. It wasn't as they hoped.
0: <laughs> so, as is yeah, often the case. But I think what's interesting to me, as far as I'm aware, and, and what maybe people don't realise is that pre-revolution, like as an Islamic culture, Iran was actually quite liberal and progressive. Is that fair to say? So like under the Shah? It was quite westernised in a way.
1: It was westernised and at the same time Iranian civilization. In the histories goes really far and it's really rich. And people wanted to reach to that point. They didn't want to be extremely Westernized and become close to that culture. They wanted to keep their culture, mm. especially the new generation, because they were really different groups of people, radicals, communists, and revolutionary people, and people who were protecting and supporting the kingdom. So all these different groups and all these all these different communities, they started to looking for something better. And some of them, they, were, they didn't agree with that closeness to Western culture. And mm. that was, it was progressive, right. but it wasn't accepted by some communities in Iran. Ah,
0: okay, yeah. So a sort of return to a kind of, uh, you know, kind of religious conservatism was welcomed by some people in a way.
1: Yes, mm. and it is still welcome. By some people. Is
0: it? Even despite uh, the reality of... Because
1: religion is not a belief. I think and I believe religion is not a belief and it's not from people's heart anymore. At least from many people's heart. It's not coming from the heart. It's become... It is a tool. Mm. It is something which they use and it's their weapon mm. to make people to follow them, to be scared of them and to listen to them. Yeah. Because if they... you If you think there is... Something beyond humans power, you might be scared if you think about hell and heaven mm. all your life. And that is something which they teach to children even from the very first and young age at the school. These big and really extreme vision of hell and heaven. Mm. And obviously people want to go and especially this generation which following them, they want to know and they want to follow their beliefs to get closer to the better future. Mm. And because the power is beyond humans' power and if you follow their beliefs you will be Fine, and if you're not, you are against God, you will go to hell and you will die. So it's just coming really complicated, yeah. and it's become like a weapon rather than a religion anymore,
0: right? Yeah, they've weaponized religion, yes. So, am I, among the members of your own family, then was there conflict as to who welcomed the changes and who felt that they were uh, a bad thing?
1: In my family, nobody. Welcome the changes
0: so were they were they quite sort of was it a quite a, a sort of liberal mm-hmm. intellectual kind of
1: it was certainly
0: because your parents were poets right
1: uh, my dad, your dad he was a poet, mm. and my mom started mm. after being influenced by my father she's a great singer, my mother oh, so really? that was my family and family nights we were surrounded by books, my dad's poems okay. and also my mom's fantastic voice to sing for us which I still remember that voice Mm. and it helps me a lot to survive and to live but yes that was pretty much my family and it went through my cousins and uncles and aunts so yeah
0: Okay. Yeah. and so did people in your family end up leaving Iran at that point
1: Mm, prisons and leaving Iran so leaving Iran for many of them it wasn't their choice Mm, mm. they were prison Mm.
0: they were exiled or, or and then
1: exiled yeah. and some exiles it was chosen by them because they didn't want to go back to the prison again mm. and some of the exiles it wasn't chosen even they had to leave because it wasn't any safe place for them in their own country
0: right yeah because those kind of people people with kind of progressive and, and sort of intellectual ideas were seen as a threat to the regime to, yes yeah. and to God and to God exactly Oh, man. And your dad was a Sufi. He the, was.
1: That's, yeah.
0: that's a religion, right? It's a belief. A belief, okay. And what you te-
1: take the power from things around you and you give it back to nature and to things.
0: Okay. And does it have so a relationship to Islam or is it completely separate? Mm, it things?
1: has relationship to Islam. It can be. It can be in relationship to any belief and any religion. Mm -hmm. Because that is something beyond the religion. And it's quite um, from your inner soul and what you have and what you carry within you. Mm. And you are responsible for that. So it could be related to any religion. Of course, Islam as a religion too. But unfortunately, after revolution, even this community and this group of people, they were watched by autoritize, because many people, they did believe in them, and they told this sort of, it could be a savior for them mm. to live and to carry on after what had happened to the country and to the families. And they had influence on people, Sufis, and they were stopped to be careful and to be hidden, mm. perhaps. And it happened to that belief, too.
0: Right, right. So amongst all this sort of change and stuff, you were, you know, trying to be a kid. What was your experience of, of growing up? What kind of a kid were you?
1: Mm, I grew up really fast then because uh, there is a big gap between me and my brothers and sister. So when my sister was 14, I was born and I was surrounded by this interesting and sometimes crazy books <laughs> because they were part of my family they were communists and some of them they were poets so it was absolutely a bizarre yeah um, it was really lovely I should say but yeah. it was really hard to get everything in for me mm-hmm. when I was seven or eight years old and also I was surrounded by all the things which they used to teach me at the school which was absolutely and extremely different from my home teaching Mm. i was at home and i was told by my parents don't believe in them just believe in your heart there is not any hell there is not any heaven it's all in your heart and yeah so
0: so yeah so you had a kind of amazing kind of counter narrative at home to the one that that they were sort of trying to drum into you at school thank thankfully i would suggest thankfully because um, 'cause you're so your parents were pretty secular, they didn't buy into all that.
1: And poetic. Yeah. Which makes it even more well, touchable.
0: Yeah. Well what a beautiful thing, you know. No wonder you ended up doing what you do. Um and and you had all that instilled into you. Mm. That's so amazing. And how, did you like school though like were you into lear- into the learning and did you prefer to l- learn from your parents and your family i guess
1: I didn't want to learn at all <laughs> i, d- did you I not? hated the school did you? every single day i used to cry in the morning i don't want to go to school can we do something else and i don't know the other few years ago i had a conversation with my mother and she said i am really amazed that You did your Ph.D., Mike, because we always thought you will not (laughs) survive until end of high school. I didn't like to, um, I like to learn in my own way still. I want to learn, but I think I need to learn and I need to know. But a school was for me really difficult, I Mm. should say, and it was different from home.
0: Yeah, so I guess maybe you were sort of rebelling against the against the very sort of structured yes. nature of it and the, the strictness, I imagine. So how did, um, you know, how did your sort of creativity start to emerge? What things did you first get interested in? I'm assuming photography didn't come into the picture until… You were a bit older, but you ended up doing, a, you did a degree and in fact an MA as well. Yes. In Tehran. Yes. So what was the sort of, how did that come about?
1: Um, as we talk about my family, many of them, they had to leave Iran after revolution. And I remember when I was really young, seven to eight years old, we had this fantastic leather suitcase full of family photographs and they were just nights to sit and have conversation about okay who is this person he looks like you dad or Mm. she looks like me and this is your aunt this is your cousin he's in america she's in germany he's in australia and we i was I had this meeting with my photographs, and I was making sometimes collage. Or some people I didn't like them, I could cut them out of the photograph. So I get, I had this connection and conversation with photographs, and I always loved that. And later on, my brother was an industrial designer, and my sister, she was a great, and she's a great painter and singer. And I wasn't any of those things. I couldn't paint. I love painting, but I just cannot do that very often. And um, then I thought about photography and this connection and seeing people in their photographs and what remains from people, which is absolutely fascinating. And that freezing of time, which stays with you forever. So I started to get closer to photography and I thought I need to know more. And that is the time when you need to know how should I take a picture even or Mm -hmm. what is the And I started my degree, BA degree at uh, Art University of Tehran.
0: Hmm. And sort of what what was the atmosphere at a place like that? I mean, you know, is it restrictive? Are are they sort of, you know, trying to kind of limit what you're exposed to? Or is it more like a kind of Western institution where you uh, can, you know, sit, look at any kind of other books from all sorts of other artists and that kind of thing?
1: Unfortunately, I cannot compare. I cannot compare my university with university here. But fortunately, and deeply now from my heart, I can share with you that I had the best most wonderful people in my life as my teachers there. Mm. And they work really hard, Beth. So in universities, they are two groups. The teachers, which we had, and they were they were and they are uh, still big part of my life and my work. Even though we are distanced and we are not close to each other, I try to be in touch with them. But of course, they are other, they have these security people. They are controlling us. ...as students and those teachers. But it couldn't stop us. For example, with Bahman Jalali... ...it was a time which I wanted to quit the university. I remember that. And for example, teachers cannot touch students. It's by law, especially a male teacher. I remember one morning I went to art uh, university... ...and I entered and I had a um, form I wanted to quit... And I said, I'm just going to leave it. I cannot do it anymore because I cannot work on what I want to work. It was always these questions, why this subject, why you are doing this. And one of them called me, you are Mazakhis, because I was working with Ren. And I thought, this is going too far. You cannot, you cannot call me this because you don't understand me. And then on the way to the office, this wonderful teacher, he saw me. And he hold my scarf and pulled me back. He said, what are you doing? What is this in your hand? I said, this is just the end for me. I cannot. (laughs) And he said, come here. Let's go to have a cigarette. So we had this hidden place because we couldn't smoke as women in the public place. So we went somewhere in the corner of university. We sat and we had a cigarette together. And he said, this is the time when you don't know what to do with yourself. I said, yes, exactly. I'm just thinking, I cannot carry on like this. And he said, just come to my office. I can show you some work. We can have a chat. We can go ro- through your work and you will be fine. Mm. And one day you will become someone on Mac. Mm-hmm. I know your photographs. Wow. And that is stay with yeah. me always. So that was the teachers which I had. Right. And so
0: those people were hugely influential then. Like, you they know, are. After they your, are. your parents and your immediate family and then, then that group of people. Huge.
1: Amazingly beautiful people, mm. lovely souls and fearless they they didn't they didn't think about what is it happening and what would happen to them mm. if they just they were absolutely brave in teaching and generous
0: yeah and there there was a combination of men and women teaching you yes yeah and like what's the attitude towards like if you're a young woman in Iran and you want to pursue a creative trajectory sort of thing is there a kind of resistance to that that you know because we're going to talk a bit more about the way in which women are kind of marginalized and i'm just wondering what your experience was of of studying something as sort of decadent as Mm -hmm. photography Mm -hmm.
1: it's for now um contemporary situation in iran obviously i haven't been home band for Mm. 10 years and i know that the learn to find a way to talk and not to be voiceless. And sometimes even being silent, it doesn't mean you are voiceless. And that is something which Iranian people learn to be and to have within their lives. For current situation in Iran, unfortunately, I think it's getting worse mm. after listening to news and reading the news and talking and having a com- conversation with my mother and some friends in Iran. But in the other hand, I believe there is always a way for them to work. Mm. And they might be a small number, but they are a the major Influence mm. of other generations and next generations, I believe. Yeah,
0: maybe you can expand a bit more on that on that idea because it does sound like a big contradiction in terms of the fact that you you know you can be voiceless. No, no, w- w- you don't have to be silent, or you don't have to be voiceless. Uh, even if you're silent, can you maybe expand on that a bit more or explain it?
1: Uh, it's it's somehow, it's talk about, I think, being silent, but not voiceless. It's come to the fact of resistance <laughs> and somehow keeping in yourself your identity and you who you are and talk, but finding a way to talk with something more than words mm. and your voice.
0: Yeah, so a kind of, of passive resistance, a kind of powerful is, yes. passive resistance, Yeah. Yeah, I get I get that now. Um was there a tendency to gloss over the the past, you know, recent past history in terms of education uh, you when know, was that sort of not taught or was there a way to sort of find out for yourself about what Ura- Iran was all about prior to the period that you grew up in?
1: Uh, we had a history, mm. but the history was was censored. And it was yeah. selected, right, obviously. Right, yeah. We did learn what we need to know and need to learn. But beyond that, it was something which you could find through the books. And we have these forbidden books, obviously, which right. you cannot find them. But you can very easily find them when you ask for. So it, about these um, connections and communication with other people who knew about the history of Iran it was really interesting to have conversation but it wasn't something um, to be found easily
0: Mm -hmm. and like growing up as a girl I was just wondering like this this same kind of idea I suppose, about having this kind of counter narrative do young kind of Iranian girls i mean are there sort of private conversations that go on with with your mum at home whereby it's a very different message to the one that you're being kind of fed in terms of your value in society or your you know your the way that you're you know you have a place kind of thing did Did you find like that actually you're being told something very different by your own mother
1: uh, Absolutely, and that was the thing which I was thinking when I was a child. I was thinking, why did my mother teach me to lie?
0: Right,
1: right. why why is she just teaching me if you go to school never tell them we drink at home if they ask you say we don't drink at home we don't play this at home we don't have this at home and it was always question why you are teaching me because yeah. if i lie i will go to, to hell, hell yeah. from what i had and why do you try to teach me lies She was: these are good lies sure, <laughs> and yeah. you will learn that <laughs> and then i use them for my Permissions for my work, as I explained last night. So it was absolutely a huge conflict and a strong contrast between those conversations, man. Yeah, I can and imagine. Which was for when I was young, as I said, I found it quite difficult to get into these two situations and to be two Amak, one Amak at school, one Amak at home, mm. and have these different conversations. But then I I think we all, as Iranian people, we're used to it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a lot to get your head around when you're, you know, trying to sort of deal with, uh, (laughs) I don't know, puberty and teenage, you know, years and all that other crap, you know. But then, what brought you to the UK? Then, after you'd sort of finish your your education
1: there, Uh, because they wanted I was uh, I had a scholarship for my BA, although they didn't accept my BA final presentation and my final project and they told me it's too avant-garde for us (laughs) (laughs) it was a combination of poems and archival material and I said we need to see your pictures so I had to submit my project again but surprisingly I arrived home um, after a few days of finishing my BA and my mother told me I had a call and letter from the university because you had the best great oh. and they offer you MA for free and you can start from next week I said but I, want I need some rest right. but then that was the only opportunity I could get and I had it from my beautiful as I said my wonderful teachers because they did believe the projects were strong although they were really bad right. for them at university people uh, for university people but for my teachers so they had conversation and they decided to send me and give me this scholarship. And I started my MA and I work, I guess I had better opportunity to have insightful thoughts and look towards archival materials Mm. and what had happened in history through the photographs. And again, that was something which created a great project which wasn't accepted by university. I can remember when I gave my final sketchbook and because we create a book, Um, as uh, part of our final project and they wanted they asked me to give it as a gift to library because the project is really good strong Mm. but then I took it to the library and the man in the library he said in these photographs the women they have skirt so we need to mark them and I said really you need to mark them (laughs) so I just torn them out of the book I said you don't deserve this and I was really sad because they were
0: wearing skirts
1: Scared so you could see the legs of my subjects or the hair. And Mm. so that was pretty much this. And then they told me for doctorate. They said, your projects, your research is absolutely unique. And we can offer you your doctorate. And I did write my proposal, but they didn't accept it. They said They told me you have these three projects to work on because we need them. Mm. I couldn't accept that. I couldn't work for 5 years on something which I wasn't connected to and I didn't find any relationship with that work so I came to UK to visit my sister to just relieve of that situation yeah, for yeah. 3 months because my sister she lives here for now more than 20 years and she told me I'm like from actually she knew Newport University as I said she's a painter uh, she said Oh Mike, they are looking for PhD students and perhaps you can send your proposal to them. And it was in August, I sent my proposal. And in September, I had a meeting and I had this opportunity to start at Newport University. Right,
0: right. um, Where well, you knew you wouldn't have the same problems uh, getting everything, mm-hmm. you know, doing the, the thing that you wanted to do in the way that you wanted to do it.
1: Which is quite sad, Ben. Oh
0: mm. well, yeah, of course. But the, um, the BA, so they didn't like the fact that because this interest you have in archival material is, is, you know, a kind of through line. I live with you them. Continue. Yes. But they 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 wanted to see that you actually had taken your own pictures, kind of thing. Um, and the MA again, you say you did the same. I mean, you still work with archival material.
1: Um, the project with historical mask is started as part of my MA, MA yeah, course. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so which we're going to talk about. But then chenazname, sorry chenazname
1: chenazname.
0: It's fine. Um.
1: Many people call it, oh, you are the person who made that tiny book, passport book. <laughs> <laughs> it's not passport, but yeah, I'm that yeah, person. Yeah, close enough. Yeah. <laughs> that they're, they're tiny book. <laughs>
0: they're too frightened of trying to pronounce Shinaznamé. <laughs> it's not that yeah. difficult. But Name was your first book. Um, when did that idea start forming in your head? W- at what point were you sort of gathering material for that? Because that was another one whereby you, um, you know, you used n- not your own images, but you sort of took them from... Other people, yes,
1: the ID photographs. Yeah, I, ID photographs. Mm. Yeah, shenasname mm.
0: is the is the name for the uh, afi- certificate. official yeah, yes. certificate. Yes,
1: absolutely. I can I start from few steps before shenasname. Please because do. For I cannot work before having some connections with my project and having dreams about them, and write about them, and get ready for them. So each project is a chapter in my life, Ben. Mm. There is nothing. It never happened to me to think, oh, that's interesting. I might go and work on that. It might be interesting project, or it never happened. It's always a start from heart, and I'm just thinking, okay, I'm going to work on that. And it's a narrative of my own life. Mm. But at the same time, because of the situation and the place which... I am from, I think. This work become more political in a sense, or I can say it pertains to a wider social issue, which is related to my country and in the Middle East we can see the similar situation for people. And it happened with Shanasnameh. Shanasnameh wasn't Shanasnameh at all. Mm. It was just a very sad day when I went to Iran to say goodbye to my father's buddy Mm. when I was late to say goodbye to him. And unfortunately, because of the things which happened in airport, I couldn't even get a chance to say that goodbye.
0: Uh, What happened?
1: Um, I decided to stay home for eight months. I contacted my supervisors and I told them, I just think all these things happen because of photography and these course because they found everything on my laptop. Oh, okay, at and the airport. Yes, mm. and I thought this is unbearable for me. I cannot get it anymore and I cannot take it. I need a rest and they were absolutely amazing. They gave me one year to stay in Iran if I want and work from there and be um, in touch with them. And Shana Sama started one afternoon. We went to this register office because I needed to write some papers for my mother because of the house and the lands and these things which we had with my father. Um, and sh- they just asked us to wait because of the way we looked, I don't know, look like. They didn't like us in that office. I said, you need to wait for a few hours and they can do these things because of my mom's really red lipstick, I guess. And that man was (laughs) quite... So we were waiting and talking and I had my mother's name birth certificate in my hand and I had mine in my hand. And it was absolutely like feeling like seeing them for the very first time in my life. I opened the pages and I thought, wow, I look like her. I can't see myself in 30 years. Mm. I will be this. Mm. And perhaps it was the way we looked into that camera for our ID photograph. Absolutely soulless with a scarf, no hair shown, not any makeup. And the same with me. Anyway, I look really, I'm not sure about that picture. But... um, at the same time, they asked us to have that shanasname and show them as the proof these photographs. And the same day, they asked us to print our fingerprints next to each other on that registration form. And I was absolutely amazed of seeing the differences between our fingerprint. And that was part of our identity, too, to prove mm-hmm. who we were. And I had a scar that day and my finger band, And it was printed on that Uh, paper. And I thought, this is a scar which I have on my body, but I have a bigger scar here Mm. in my heart. Mm. So perhaps it can be seen through something if I work on that. So I went home, and the same day I asked my neighbors, can you please bring your birth certificates for me to my flat? And they came. They are amazing. And I saw all these pictures. We looked absolutely the same in our right. ID photographs. And I asked them, can I see your fingerprints? So it's all started. All right, and right. it ended up three years of journeys all around different places in Iran. Shiraz, Mashad, Isfahan, Kashan, just to receive these ID photographs. And then go and meet these ID photographs and have their fingerprints, which was amazing. Because many times it happened to me to see someone who I couldn't imagine to see her in these Mm -mm -mm. personal presentations. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, you sort of, uh, ultimately what you did is collated a whole series of these of these images like you say where everyone looks at it. it's funny it reminds me of um, a little personal memory but i had an iranian friend a woman uh here in in the uk in london and uh she showed me her i guess it was an old passport or something with her her mugshot that she'd uh, done in in iran and of course she had the of course the head cover and she just looked absolutely miserable like she looked like she was she was just so that dope. is
1: how i look like right, yeah right, right.
0: <laughs> and then she showed me the picture of her uk passport and she you know, of course her hair was down and she just and she had her makeup and she and she just had a massive grin on her face she was like there you go that's everything you need to know right there <laughs> with those two pictures it was so lovely you know was like okay i get it i, I can
1: remember the first time i showed my birth certificate to my Husband, no, my boyfriend. Those days, he said, "This is not you, Mike." I said, "No, this is me." No, 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 this is not you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he couldn't
0: because believe that how he could look like this. But isn't isn't that part isn't that part of the point of of you know the niqab and everything to sort of kind of make everyone look the same? It's, t- it's a, it not it really a way of kind of suppressing your personal it's,
1: identity? It's like producing identities just like a factory right. <laughs> and these people they are part of the productions of this country it's just like when you go to supermarket and see all these cans mm. and you go to the street and see all these women the same and they are really proud this is a Islamic country yeah. and this is how a Iranian woman look like even though if they want it or they don't want it but that is so this producing the identity rather than presenting the identity right, yeah
0: yeah it's extraordinary um well we'll talk more about it um how did you did you choose the, the the women or how did you find the women or how did you go about sort of collecting these these various images because some some people even had the ones that had been rejected yes uh they'd kept them i guess and you did some of keep
1: those. it i have this fantastic friend she is absolutely amazing and crazy really crazy She, we met at art university. She did a study art. Her name is Ida. She should be somewhere in now. And she couldn't carry on as a photographer. She was someone like me, but she did need money. She wanted, she was like, I'm like, your pockets are always empty. I don't want this. (laughs) I want to have money. (laughs) So she started to work in a registration office with her scarf on and be a really, fantastic woman to go to work and become one of those people in that office and once when I was in Iran she contacted me and I said oh, I'm I have a pack for you and she always thought come to the coffee shop 7 o'clock and we had this cafe which the man we used to go in Tehran shut the doors we sit have our cigarettes oh, have really? chat He <laughs> was amazing so he said come to, the cof- um, to that coffee shop and we will meet and I have a really lovely gift for you you will kiss my hands. I was okay, come on, bring it to me. So I went there and she came and she gave me this tiny envelope and I opened it and I saw all these rejected photographs mm. and she took, told me that she took them from bin of that office and she collected mm. for me 12 photographs. Oh, that's genius. So some of she those dived women... She in... To, the, to bin. the bin of ah. those papers, because it happened through the year yeah, yeah. that some people, when they had these rejected photographs, for example, they were told, here we can see your hair or
0: <laughs> lipstick. Well, that's what I was going to say. What kind of sort of transgressions would uh, be necessary for them you to... You
1: shouldn't look beautiful <laughs> right, <laughs> at yeah. all.
0: You look too like uh, yourself. You need to look more... They have standards.
1: Standards of... A standard, mm. a standard of representation yeah no representation no hair, not hair not any makeup mm. not any smile mm. Mm, your eyelashes they shouldn't be really long blah blah, blah. Mm. All, all these sort of things you shouldn't we shouldn't see the neck Gosh, yeah so mm.
0: just i mean that whole business has become very politicized hasn't it the, the issue of the niqab and 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 you know uh mm. Obviously, there are, there's a lot of rebellion now among young women in the Middle East against yes. it. Um, which strikes me as a good thing. But then there are some, what, what does confuse me is the way in which some Muslim women seem to defend it. You know, it almost seems like yes. a kind of Stockholm syndrome to me. Yeah, I, I wonder what your take is on that.
1: Um, I'm not surprised with that in light of what's happening now around us. Mm. I don't have to uh, spell out these things, mm. Ben, because they are so obvious. Right. But I want to share with you now, if, if it's a belief from the heart, I respect it. Mm. It happened to me many times, although in my family, we don't wear a scarf, we started to drink from a very young, not very young age, I didn't drink, I mean, when I could and about praying and i love (laughs) the fact that your family drank alcohol oh many families in iran and i couldn't ever find such a beautiful wine tasty (laughs) wine here in uk homemade shiraz wine so mm, but this is what i want to share that many times it happened to me to go to visit a family. And wear my scarf in their house and respect them Mm -hmm. and show them my respect. Because I could witness that belief comes from their heart. Mm. It doesn't come from the regime. No, no. And what they was told to do. But opposite of that, in front of them, we have these people. They have the widest parties, the worst parties, the worst relationships within them. But because their business works with that scarf or defending that hijab Mm. or defending to be one of those people and protecting those people. That was something which I couldn't accept. Mm. And my message is towards those people most of the time to see what you do to other people. So this is... Did I answer your question? Does it yeah. work? No, I
0: mean, it's. Yeah, it's fascinating. Mm. And I mean, I, well, I can't, I can't even remember. Obviously, I was like, I used the wrong term. I think I said niqab. I meant hijab, of course. I guess it's a sort of similar thing. But yeah. Um,
1: but it's I, not, not similar, I should say. Because with nigab, they cover the face.
0: Right, right. That's why. But yeah, I meant hijab, hijab. is the hair. I'm going to officially apologize for having <laughs> used the wrong freaking word at a very crucial point. So anyone who. Just, just give me a free pass on that. I meant hijab. Uh, that was the word I was trying to use. No. Yeah, no. I d- yeah, exactly. Let's not uh, let's not kind of muddy the waters further by using the wrong terminology because it is there are quite a few different uh, types of you know garment, I suppose. But yeah, you know, if it's about accepting the coercion, as it were, and somehow buying into it as if you know there's something good about it, that seems to me strange. Like you say, you know, it's a personal uh, decision. But, but is it? I suppose that's the question. For some people,
1: is it? it is a personal decision. And through the, my research, through my culture and history, covering, it could be really beautiful. And it is something which is, it could be feminine. And it could be, it can be something to conceal your beauties, Mm. but in a way to reveal them rather than to hide them. Mm. So if it goes to those beliefs, and I had it, I never forget my grandmother's scarf, Ben, and it was such a sweet scarf, absolutely covered with flowers. And she always had this beautiful white hair, but she wanted that. Mm. It was part of her. I couldn't imagine her without that. And she didn't believe in any religion. Right. Not at all. But that was her belief that as a woman, I like to cover herself. I Mm. like her to be seen like this. But opposite of that, I have seen so many scarves, which one of my project, not project, is about this scarf and how they can represent all these ideologies behind that and yeah. where this ideology is coming from. Is it from your heart and your belief, or is it from your regime and your government and your m- business? Yeah, yeah, so.
0: yeah, yeah. Right, yes, of course, you did do a project about it, and you, and yes. uh, it, people can find that on your on your website, yeah. um, which I'll put a link to. But as far as Shinaznamay goes, um, you know, it became, you made a book out of it, and um, I think there was only 300 copies. Yes. And it sold very quickly, didn't it?
1: Three to four weeks.
0: Yeah. Was, was did that
1: surprise you?
0: Very, very much. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, it it, it struck a chord. It, it touched a nerve. It, you know, it somehow...
1: It was the first uh, book. And with the first look, the book looks really dry.
0: Yes. Well, yeah. I don't know if we fully... I mean obviously again um people can can look it up because there's 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 actually a very lovely uh video that you made yes. um of you you know going through it so people can get a very very clear idea of what the book is like without actually even having a copy in front of them I think it's on the Vimeo on a Vimeo yes. channel I'll put a link to that but um yeah so it's very simple I mean it's 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 a it's a mug shot you know like you say a, an ID photo uh, uh, on one page and a and a, a fingerprint on the other but you also wrote some little Verses and stuff. Oh, yes. you, there was some text. What yes. was what was the decision behind that about? Uh,
1: that text was indeed the voices of those women who asked me to remove their pictures uh-huh. from the book. But the voice they didn't talk to me. I thought I can't talk to them. And I have this imagined conversation, which I have with Tajo Salsane too, with the next project. Well, right. That, yeah, yes. we'll come on to that. Yes. yeah. But that is the reason of having those words mm-hmm. and those notes, little notes.
0: Mm. So, yeah, it must have been, it must have been gratifying to, to have it, you know, sell so quickly. But then there was a price to pay because, I mean, I don't know if y- you were aware at the time that it was a risk, uh, you know, politically or, you know, in terms of, Attracting attention to yourself But this is basically why you haven't been back for 10 years Can you sort of uh, Can you explain that and fill, uh, it, fill in the kind of Gap there a little
1: I, I didn't know it would happen I don't regret that Ben right. Because I am well, I proud I, I I am thrilled to be this Women's speaker yeah. And talk From their heart And for them And I think as an Iranian artist We are all Iranian artists in one way or another. We are looking at our works as political testimonies Mm. and visual testimonies. And that is something which um, could be seen through our works, but mostly it could be seen through the feedbacks and outcomes of our works Mm. and our projects. And sometimes it makes it really difficult. For example, I did feel it even into my bones with project this project Shenasname. I made project this project because I thought I need it. Mm. As a person, not as Omak, as an Iranian artist, photographer, just as a human being, when you feel I'm just it's all here, it's trapped in me and I need to expose it out. I need to express it out. But then the feedback was extremely, So I did feel sad about many feedbacks, Ben. Mm. Even from Iranian people, I was told really rude words, really, I had received really really bad emails, who you think you are, we were told to go to hell too, and we didn't think about that, you think you can talk about these things and become a British citizen, all these sort of things, and in the other hand, which I was uh, struggling to accept because that wasn't my aim mm. to work on that project i'm not a, still a british citizen mm. although i can be but i don't want to be mm. that is not the reason of being here for me but all these outcomes because they didn't see me as a person as omak they saw me as an iranian photographer mm. who think these subjects are now hot topic and she wants to talk about them but that wasn't my reason oh, yeah, to also because
0: that. you know it's a matter of personal interpretation as to that you weren't absolutely. being explicit about what the book was really trying to say or what the, you know what your intent was i'm sure you you must have got some very positive you, absolutely
1: positive i had this i never forget that i went to some of my exhibition specifically the one in Nepal and they were this Iranian family they said they came, they said because we couldn't travel to UK, so we decided to travel here, oh wow. and we are and many positive emails and many positive feedbacks mm. I should say, especially from the women of Shenas Namebay. I am in touch with them. The book hasn't been seen in Iran, hasn't been shown in Iran, not at all, because it's a forbidden book mm. which I am proud of. Mm. Because people can see that, yeah. that's, I mean, that's why a, I created that video. That's a recommendation. Yes. If ever I heard and one, I <laughs> <laughs> and I created that video because of that reason to yeah. share it with people. Right, right. And the feedback from these people was amazing, and how they were happy to be part of this project. And yeah, but Western fi- feedback was different too.
0: Mm, I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. Some what you s- yeah? What what other kind of responses n- came? You know from from sort of, you know, different Western cultures. I mean, were there any surprising things?
1: Uh, I can remember the very as I said, Shana Sama was a really intimate project, very small book. I published it, and I woke up one really early morning, three four o'clock in the morning, and I opened my emails and I saw this great article on a really fascinating, famous newspaper, Amak Mahmoudian talking about hell and heaven. (laughs) And I was thinking, this is not what I'm talking about. And that was the first alarm for me. And it was after a few days of publishing Shana's name, and I thought, okay, I need to. So I contacted those people and I said, guys, could you please change it because I need to go home. And this yeah. is not what I'm talking it's about. It's not helping. It's yeah. not helping me. And then after a few times these things happen, I thought I cannot email everyone. They have the, It's a multiple interpretation of this project, and I cannot stop it. So yeah, yeah it's out that of your was control. kind of hell and heaven. Yeah, in
0: itself of identity.
1: But, uh, yeah. uh, um,
0: just sort of as a thought experiment, if you did just literally fly back to Iran, you know, tomorrow, what what would be the consequences? Do you know or is it you just have to kind of guess at what would happen?
1: The worst thing is that I don't know, Ben. Right. Yeah. I don't know. And I have, I work now with two different lawyers because I really need to see my mother. Although I know years. five years and she's not well and i don't want to go through what i went through after my father's death because mm. i think i will i cannot survive it it would be really difficult but i was advised that they it's 50-50 amak like, you can go and you can be arrested mm. at the same time at airport without seeing your mom and you can be fine. Mm. and this 50-50 is the worst feeling yeah, of when course. you don't know where you stand of course
0: you don't it's uh, it's, it's 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 terrible because mm-hmm. there's no yeah, it's like it doesn't give you any. It, it's not weighted one way or the other. No. So it's like, how are you supposed to decide yes. whether there's a, you know, it's a risk and worth there taking? There is
1: not even any hope in waiting to wait. Mm. It has been always fifty-fifty for me for now five years.
0: Yeah. So, but as you say, you still you don't regret having done it despite that consequence. Never. Mm. Well, let's, let's move on to Zangia then, because that's the new one. Yeah. just came out, um, published by um, RRB, which is a, a little publisher here in Bristol. Um, I hope they won't be offended if I s- use the word little. I suppose, <laughs> they're, I suppose they're, I mean, they're small independent. In
1: fact, it's co-published by RRB and ICV. Sorry, sorry yeah, um,
0: and ICV, yeah, Visual Lab. Um, so it's, a yeah, like you say, it's a joint venture between the two. So explain what this what this project is about. Then Expl- it means, as you say, chain, and I don't know if you see it as as a kind of continuum, as it were, from the previous project. In it, if it, whether it has some kind of uh, you know re- relationship to it, but yeah, y- it involves the story of a king and uh, his many wives. So maybe you could just uh, explain a little bit.
1: Um, Chain, reason of using chain and Zanjir Ben is because of the connection which I have with past. And as I said, I live in the past. Mm. And that is the main reason of working on this project. And that is what Zanjir deals with. It deals with memory and land. And the connections with these memories. And that is where chain and chain idea comes from in the other hand through the book of Tajo Sultan's memory I found this quote which at the end of her book she's talking about because she became a Nahilis.
0: you might have to explain who that is
1: uh, Tajo Sultan uh, she she was a Gajar princess mm-hmm. and the one of the first memories of Iran who, uh, Iranian uh, Gajar era who lived 136 years before me. Mm. And she started her journey in the land of memory and talking about her memories in that kingdom and as a royal member 105 years before me. And I found her memories and diaries and it made me closer to people's life through their own voice in 1848 in Iran. And she... She had this conversation with her nanny when she was young, which reminded me of my conversation at a school band. Right. And her nanny told her there is a chain which connects us to the sky and to the heaven or hell. And they are two angels. They are holding this chain. So the reason Earth, planet Earth, is in this huge universe is because of that chain. And our beliefs make it a stronger. A stronger way to the mm. heaven. That's nice. And the last word of her in her book is for me, towards when I was 40, that chain was broken. And I don't believe in any religion. And I don't believe in any hell and heaven anymore. I just believe in my people. Mm. And it was her quote as a princess of Iran. And I thought this chain and connection and That chain broke for her, but it created another chain. The chain within the history Mm. and connected her life to us, I mean, because she had been a remarkable influence and she is a remarkable woman in her own rights. So that was the idea of having chain. Mm.
0: So so this is something you discovered in the course of your research because you're very sort of, you know, influenced by, yeah, your kind of academic research and stuff, but then
1: Oh, uh, I cannot call it academic research. Okay. In fact I am not really good in that. I had okay. really a, I remember when I submitted my PhD um chapters, they told me is it a poem? <laughs> right. Or is it a PhD this is too poetic. You cannot ah, okay. so but I have my own way. Your of own way. Yeah, you have yeah. your own
0: process, yeah. But um I guess the, the next question is, you know, how do you then decide how you're actually gonna you know explore these ideas visually um can you explain a little bit about what the pictures in the book depict
1: Mm, you mean in terms of sequence and editing well in terms
0: of the fact that you've got you've got what you've done is you've had people um with images of um you know people's faces Mm -hmm. a kind of mask a kind of yeah a a printed picture of of someone and then that picture is then being held in front of the face of uh, you know a contemporary subject that you've shot and partly you shot in um in Tehran right
1: yes all of them just the last image of the book Mm. it's me right here in Bristol oh right great yeah with a mask The blank one. Because you you talked a
0: little bit about how this is sort of partly about the private versus public representation. So maybe you could kind of... At
1: least it started with that idea of talking about this strong contrast of especially female representation in public and in private domains Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. Iran. And that is something which I could see through my research on archival materials. I did work on this archival research for two years in Tehran, Ben, and I had absolutely different understanding about these females, these women and their lives before seeing their photographs. I retraced their stories through their photographs. And it was something really different from his story. Again, it was about their voice, Mm. which I could see even in their intimate poses. For the king who was the photographer those days. And at the same time he was really close to them.
0: Yeah, the king was interested in photography himself. He he welcomed
1: photography and he was the first person who started to take photographs himself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In private domain at home in his harem. And also it asserted about this double identity and i was looking for similarities between these women and my own identity as i told you these contrasts can be seen in private and public places instead well. and that was this project mm. Nagab was about identity religion the image that has been constructed by a religion government mm. regime and others perceptions of our identities and who we are and who we should be right. in public and in private places but then editing them after 10 years it was absolutely different mm. and I think that is the power of photography it can be changed with you who you are makes what you see in a photograph
0: Right.
1: I was looking I didn't look for identities. I can remember the first day I went home and I went through my light bugs and my negatives. I didn't look for any edit or any sequence for talking about this identity. I was just looking for my mom, my dad, my family, familiar places, Mm. friends. And I think that was something which I was hugely desired to see in these photographs. And it did create this book and who are
0: the people in the you know the faces uh, that 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 are being kind of held up who are those people
1: these are um king's family right these photographs belong to 1848 uh-huh. to 1896 right women of haram because he had as i said approximately it's hard to estimate the numbers, one hundred and seventeen wives. But they used to move to palace with their relatives. So they were all together eight hundred women and their relatives. And what I did I re photographed these faces mm. and I concealed the faces of contemporary people who I used to live with. Yeah. I saw every day in my life behind these masks.
0: Right, right. Of past. I've passed and you shot them in, in, in like you say in public places. Can you sort of talk a little bit about the challenges of trying to do that in Tehran and the, the kind of strategies you have to employ in order to make that possible? Just kind of give us the context of of how and why that isn't, you know, an easy thing to do because there there are obviously um, there are limitations. People, yeah, people yeah. people are watching. Yes, and uh, you can't necessarily do the things that, you know... They are watching
1: and you don't know who is watching. Mm. So,
0: so how did you go about getting, um, getting around that problem?
1: For the previous project, for this one, for, for example, not project, the scarf, I had this really a small Sony camera, which I could hide it mm. behind and under my scarf. And I had it to take photographs. But I always ask my subjects, Ben... I always, I have to have conversation first before taking the photographs. I don't steal the moment. I share the moment with them. And that is important for me. So, but for Zangir, I did need to work on framing them and having the mask and just imagine this A4 and some of them A3 mask to take them out in public place and hide and just somehow create that space of taking the photographs of these people I did need permission obviously to take the photographs in public and I didn't get the permission because they were talking about "Boy, this historical mass this is the history of us what do you want to do with that this sort of um, opinions and ideas and at the same time subjects were women and I didn't get the permission but as I told you not to learn how to tell lies at home, but how to be flexible, yeah yeah
0: so I just went
1: that. to office and I told them about that how I am concerned about how we are destroying nature and building up this residence block, these huge things, and I want to capture it as a photographer. I feel I am responsible. And I had the permission in less than half an hour. Oh, really? But as you see in the book and in this project, it started with these places near to trees. Mm. So I always asked. So my you convinced subject. them
0: that, that yeah. it was going to be about t- trees. trees
1: and parks and yeah. yeah. Okay, so
0: you got you got but around. But it, it, it wasn't at no. all. Yeah. Right. Right.
1: But then after six months, I think I was quite brave. I took it to metro, to bus, to trains, to restaurants. Ah, yeah. I was feeling.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. But something really strange. And my mom always, she's my rock. She always come to protect me. Right. And they took me and they took my camera, two ladies. And they said, what are you doing? She said, what do you want from my girl she doesn't even live here she is working she doesn't show it to you is. she takes them to uk and they said oh you should come with us i said mom it wasn't helpful so they took me <laughs> oh, no. and they said i you working for bbc no that is not it's yeah. just so yeah and still i had problems but <laughs> oh no yeah
0: and so, and this one, you did actually include some some verse, some poetry, some kind yes. of this imagined conversation between you and the, and the princess. And uh, is that something you'd explored before? I mean, obviously, you know, po- poetry has always been a absolutely a core to your.
1: It's core and is heart and is the main seed of my projects, my childhood, my memories, my life, everything, then. Mm. The I did grow up with poems and with poetry and I thought it's about memory, it's about family, I need to write something, I need to be in conversation. I am in conversation, imagine conversation with Tajo Saldana but beyond that I am in conversation with my family, Mm. with my father, with my mother and many fathers and mothers and sisters, and daughters, and brothers who go through the same experience. So that is the main reason of those Mm. poems. Mm.
0: But with this connection you feel with her, where does that connection come from for you?
1: First, I thought she was a a great and brave activist. 2007, when I went through her book, I Mm. thought this woman had been... Absolutely extraordinary for her time. And she knew so many languages. She could talk in English, French, Germany. And she had these writings about her experience as a witness Mm. of what's happening in her kingdom and in her time. And that was really close of my feeling as a witness. Because I was thinking part of me, I couldn't contribute enough in changes in my time. And I wanted to, but somehow it was a barrier. It was a line. And I did feel the same feelings after going through her text. Mm. And I thought we had the same experience, but... It is 136 mm. years between us. Yes. Yeah, and she, it's amazing.
0: Yeah, she sounds incredible. She sounds like she was way ahead of her time. She sounds like some Absolutely. sort of proto feminist. She was almost. the
1: first woman who took her scarf out yeah. in court. There and you go. she was the first woman who wrote for her divorce. And she got it. She had her divorce. Wow. Yeah. And she went to her lover to live with him. So and all these uh, small things, which you think 136 years yeah. ago, because most of the thing which I heard about these women, Ben, I'm so sorry to say that, but it's about their moustache, their big bellies. they. This is what I can see when people put in. But these women were beyond this. They were mm. absolutely amazing. All these people. And you just need to retrace them and dig their stories out. And that was my connection. Because these women, they I don't see their way they pose. I don't see their bodies. I see their souls in these photographs. And maybe that's the connection with these archives and their handwritings and their memories. Yeah. And that was the connection with Tajo of I did feel really sad because the first feedback, so- showing these pictures to some friends, they were like, are these mo- are they men or are they are they male or females and i was thinking why you don't ask me something else mm. about who is the photographer how they could absolutely freely and intimately pose for the photographer why this sort of question doesn't mm. come through but then these writings her memories helped me to make these connection uh, stronger perhaps with those women and their history
0: yeah well you've created a little tribute really to them in a way with this I project so, yeah. I feel okay well that book's called Zangir. Um it's just come out and uh, only 300 copies so get one soon that's what i'd say
1: this one is 1000 oh, no, and this one's
0: 1000 i'm sorry i was thinking about shinasume so shinasume was 300 that was a, that was a while back and they, obviously those are those were sold out so this one you got you got more chance of getting one it's 1000 a, a copies but but i'll um yeah i'll put a link in the show notes for the listeners well this has been fascinating to chat with you amak thank you so much for making the time to talk to me i've really uh, enjoyed it i don't know why i was so anxious because i I feel like it went well
1: i don't know either (laughs) and i think it went absolutely well thank you so much thank you for your unique insight into this project i I saw your notes and how fascinating you were just
0: i'm just listen i'm just trying to hang in there man (laughs) that's all i'm ever trying (laughs) to do (laughs)
1: incredible i really enjoyed that thank Thank you amak thanks